Hello and welcome to Crikey's Election Cast, a podcast that will give you an independent and honest look at the politics, policy, and politicians' antics in the lead-up to the federal election. My name is Cam Wilson, and today is Monday the 11th of April, the first day of the official campaign. On today's pod, Crikey's Tips and Murmurs editor Charlie Lewis is speaking to our political reporter Kishore Napier-Rahman about the leaders' opening pitches, the first election gaffe, and whether you can trust those dang polls. Over to you, Charlie and Kishore. Kishore, thank you so much for joining us. G'day, Charlie. Good to be here on day one of the campaign. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess that's where that's the obvious place to start. The campaign is officially, finally underway. Um, I guess first up, tell us a little bit about the two major parties' sort of opening pitches and the contrast between the two leaders on this. Yeah, it was interesting. So Scott Morrison faced the media yesterday, short and sharp, very brief, didn't take, spend a lot of time taking questions from journalists. His main pitch was, look, go with the devil you know. It's a uncertain world out there. And at times he was almost apologetic. You know, he said, "When my government's not perfect. He conceded perhaps that he personally, his popularity has taken a hit in many quarters. He's not the formidable figure he was three years ago and he doesn't face the same kind of unpopular opponent in Bill Shorten mm. as he does now in Anthony Albanese. So it was brief. It was everything's uncertain. Stick with us, even if you might not like us very much. Albanese was a bit of a contrast. He spent a fair bit of time with journalists. It was almost a little too long, 35 minutes. He made a few jokes here and there about the Ramones and stuff like that. Um, But really one thing that stood out for me was he really tried to relentlessly hammer the whole policy thing. He was like, look, we're going to make childcare cheaper. We're going to boost domestic manufacturing. There's going to be a strong renewable sector that will drive power prices down. And, and, you know, we talk a bit about this election being one that's really going to be fought on personality. And I think over these next six weeks, we're going to see a lot of quite nasty personal attacks. But it was notable that Albanese really tried to push that because one of the attacks that you get both from the Liberals and I think in some of the media analysis of Labor is that, you know, it's a small target strategy. We don't really know Mm -hmm. what they stand for. We don't really know what Albanese is about. So we did that. He did his classic log cabin origin story about growing up with a single mother. He really tried to introduce himself to the electorate. So I think it made sense that he would spend a lot more time in that opening salvo. Yeah. Do you think that there's an element with with Morrison's sort of focus on the uncertainty of the world and the you know uh, the tumult of all that sort of stuff? Is there an element that maybe he's trying to recapture the 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 kind of popularity that a lot of incumbents saw during COVID that might have kind of abandoned him, uh, given that things have sort of slowed down on that front? Yeah, I, I think so. Look, when you zoom out a little bit. You know, looking at Australia, how we've performed through the pandemic comparative to much of the rest of the world and how our economy is doing, it's interesting to me that Scott Morrison comes into this election behind in the polls and a little bit on the nose. I mean, the Mm -hmm. Liberals would be pretty frustrated with that. And I think definitely he's trying to grapple that kind of, you know, that mantle of the strong incumbent navigating us through a time of uncertainty. The problem is that, you know, the public response to how he's handled lots of those crises, his response to the bushfires is still sort of lingering. I mean, he was in Gilmore today talking about that. His response to the recent floods, you know, led to a lot of frustration in those communities. Mm -hmm. He's struggling to retain that mantle, but the core of his pitch is trust us. Mm -hmm. And do you think that... 
does, is this related? To the May twenty first day is obviously the, the last date they could realistically mm -hmm. do it. Um, do you think that's part of the strategy there? That it's just giving him as much time as he possibly can to kind of work his way back up in the public's affections? Well, there are a couple of things going on there. I think to, to quote Paul Keating, Morrison is trying to do Albanese slowly. He hopes he can wear him down over the course of a six-week campaign. Of course, Morrison was a very, very effective campaigner in 2019, and that was one of the key reasons he was able to win an election where many people didn't give him a, a huge chance. So we're yet to see how Albanese is going to perform on the campaign trail, but day mm -hmm. one, from the very outset, he had a, a couple of gaffes this morning when he was unable to name the cash rate and unable to name the unemployment rate. Now, these are pretty predictable gotcha questions. They don't sort of indicate that they're not good at handling the economy. But, you know, the whole liberal attack has been Albanese has never held a treasury portfolio. We can't trust him to handle the economy. And they would have been gleeful seeing that little soundbite. Mm. Of course, Albanese got up later and, and, and was like, look, I make mistakes. I fess up. Um, and of course, Morrison's made his own mistakes. He couldn't, in response to gotchas like that, he couldn't name the price of petrol and household items at the National Press Club back at the start of the year. But, you know, Morrison hopes that he can that a series of, of gaps like that can maybe kind of he can stitch that together with this narrative of Labor being untried and untested and a little bit risky. The, the problem there, though, of course, is that Albanese and Labor have given them this small target. It's not like Bill Shorten, where you have a lot of sort of courageous and, and, and big, bold, but slightly potentially threatening policy things that they can you know, throw, uh, fling attacks at. So it's a lot harder to run that strategy, but he hopes that over the course of the six-week period, he can chip away at Albanese's lead, chip away at him as an alternative prime minister, gain a foothold in the polls and, and sort of coast through as the devil you know, despite mm. him acknowledging that he's not as popular as he was three years ago. Well, that, that coming back to that, coming back especially to Albanese's uh, gaffe around... Um, around, yes, the cash rate and the unemployment rate. Do you think that this is the kind of thing that really does cut through for voters? I mean, one journalist I saw sort of said, if Morrison pulls off another miraculous victory, this will be the moment it turned. Is that? Do you think that that really is that strong an indicator of anything to actual outside the Beltway voters? Look, it's really hard to say because it's day one of the campaign. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I think people sort of in their post-election wraps like to kind of pick up on individual sound bites and, and, and reduce things to like, individual moments elections are never won and, and lost really on those individual moments even though you know it makes for good analysis to be able to point to the moment right and yeah it's, mm -hmm. it's unclear how much that is going to filter down because you know not everyone is like us watching the wall-to-wall minute-by-minute coverage as i've unfortunately been all day and probably will be for the next <laughs> six weeks so yeah <laughs> i think though what it does is it gives uh, the government a little bit more ammunition. And like I said, a key plank of their attack is that these guys can't handle the economy. That's a very classic sort of liberal attack line. Um, but, you know, having watched Morrison and the government in question time recently, this whole bit about Albanese not having a treasury portfolio is something they, they, they really stick to, even though many liberal prime ministers didn't have a treasury mm. portfolio becoming prime minister. So, you know, it gives them a little bit, it gives a little bit more weight to that government attack line. It gives them something to kind of go on the offensive over. Um, and, and, you know, anything that furnishes that narrative, um, and, 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 you know, eventually that might filter through to enough undecided voters all of those things count. I, I mean, you know, it's really, you can't say that this is going to flip the campaign at this stage. There's mm -hmm. so much time left to go. There's so many more things that can that can happen. There are 
probably going to be plenty of gaps on the government side, knowing how, how often they have screwed up over the last three years under the pressure. And so we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I suppose the other the other thing to note is that clearly the liberals think it has legs as, a, as an area of criticism of Albanese if they keep going back to it. Um, just, I guess, to sort of along the similar lines, today you wrote a really interesting piece about um, about polling. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so, I guess, firstly, just on as a top line level, what are the polls telling us at the moment? Look, the polls have been telling us, and this is all the kind of major polling, have been telling us fairly consistently over the last few months that Labor's in a pretty strong position. You know, they come into this election in a strong position. I think one thing to note is they actually start this campaign in a better polling position than they were in 2019. You know, in 2019, everyone expected them, expected Bill Shorten to win, and we saw that those polls were, were, were wrong. Um, and so, of course, that means that people are way, way more sceptical about the polls. So so they, they look at that and, and they're not as certain of a Labor victory. There's a, a, a broad sense of distrust, both among the general public, but among also, you know, in both on both sides of politics, I think, you know, within mm-hmm. the parties, within, among people that watch politics for a living, everyone sort of takes them with a slightly bigger grain of salt this time around. Um, so, you know, people are a bit more sceptical. And I think... A, Bit of part of the problem is that perhaps people have always put too much faith in polls. You know, one pollster was telling me this morning that you know they're more of an art than a science. People don't ex- understand things like you know the, the fact that there is a margin of error and a bit of uncertainty built into every poll. Um, but pollsters also say that they've tightened up their methodologies, that they're getting better at like weighting their samples against the rest of the population. And they think that what they've got now is a more accurate model in terms of predicting the election. And I think the other thing to note there is that you know, even factoring in the mar- mar- margin for error. If there is a polling error of like 2% like there was last time, Labor would still have a lead on the two-party preferred basis. But of course, two things here, two truisms to deal with. One is that, of course, the only poll that matters is on election day. And the second mm-hmm. is that there's no such thing as a national swing. So this is an election where Labor have to win seven seats to form majority. They have to stitch that together across the country. Um, but of course, you know, they're not going to get the same swings in every seat they need to. And some of those seats they need to win are on a kind of 5% margin, whereas Labor actually hold a lot of seats on quite narrow 1% or 2% margins. So mm-hmm. all of that sort of uncertainty is also there. So, you know, the headline polling figures, good for Labor. Everyone's a bit sceptical, but, you know, I think Labor should be, pleased with how they're, where they're starting this election. And I suppose from there, you know, with our, you know, our sceptical and engaged readers, um, what should they be looking out for when they're reading through the polls? What, what sort of, uh, what around the terminology and things like that, um, what, what should they be looking out for to make these things clearer? Yeah, I think they should note, for example, that there's a margin of error of around 3% with, with every poll. So, so you know, that can go kind of both ways. I think the other thing to look to look for as well, there's a lot of focus, like I said, on non-individual seat polling and people think, oh, you know, there's not going to be, there's no such thing as a national seat swing, so we should look at the individual polling and marginal seats. That tends to be a little bit less reliable for a couple of reasons. The first is that people in those marginal seats just get, get tend to be polled up to their eyeballs. I mean, I've never mm. lived in a marginal seat, so I don't get polled up to my eyeballs, um, mm. but, but those people do. And it's much also much harder to get a large sample and get a good representative sample when you're, you're dealing with, you know, 400 versus 2,000 people. It's much harder to get a degree of accuracy um, in that. So I think, you know, 
take the individual seat polling with a really big grain of salt um, because you've seen a few recently. There was one, you know, pointing to Labor winning two seats in South Australia, which would be a big gain for them. But obviously, be a bit careful with that. Um, but, you know, look, I think we've just always got to take polling with a grain of salt. We can't make any assumptions based on it, but it is a guide to to some extent to what the electorate's thinking. I think, though, that there is a, a kind of a, a curse of, like, punditry and, and politics watching that, that people just, you know, really want to make predictions. And I think there's just no reason to make predictions. You've just got to be patient and wait these next six weeks out and see what happens, I think. That was Crikey's Tips and Murmurs editor, Charlie Lewis, talking to political reporter Kishore Napier-Rahman. We will be back tomorrow in your ears, but until then, please subscribe to the podcast, review it on your podcast platform of choice, and you can find everything that we discussed here on crikey.com.au. Bye.